Well, this morning, we're, we're glad you're here this morning, I should say. Um, some of you remember in the interim time, uh, Reverend Jerry Batterby and his wife, they're, they're back there, so we want to say welcome to them. Um, uh, so we want to make sure that, that you, you got to know them at all, talk to them before you leave, and, and just tell them hello. Um, well, we're glad you're here with us this morning. Once again, if you're a guest, we have little cards that we ask you to fill out. Um, if you can fill those out, that's great. We appreciate it. It helps us know you are here. We'd love to connect with you, and we actually have a gift that we'll bring you if you fill out that card. If you don't fill it out, um, we might still give it to you anyway. It's just harder to do. Um, but but uh, on those cards, and, and I should have mentioned this earlier, and I apologize I didn't, but we gather together at 6 a.m. Tuesday mornings and pray, and so if you have a prayer request, write them on the court card, and when we gather, we'll make sure to pray for them. Um, so just want you to know that that's, that's a part of what we do here. Um, yes, by the way, before I move on, we should probably say thank you to the praise team for all the hours they put in practicing and how good a job they do. So if you just want to say thank you to them. Um, so they really do do a good job and, and put in a lot of time. So we just want to continue to, to thank them when you get a chance. Um, some of you yesterday were at the w- wedding for Allie and Cody, and they didn't know I was using them as a sermon illustration. In fact, I didn't know until yesterday. Um, I was sitting in the wedding and scribbling notes on a little card as, as they... As I think Allie came down the aisle, my wife was looking at me, trying to figure out what I was doing. Um, she even said, she even tried to read it later, but couldn't read my writing, so she had no idea what I was going to be talking about. Um, but I, I'm kind of convinced that weddings are really interesting things. And, and if you haven't been to one, um, or you haven't been in one, or a part of one, they're interesting for a lot of reasons. But one of the things that I find interesting is that the bride is in charge of everything. And if you think it's not true, then, then you're at the wrong wedding. Um, but the bride picks the color of the flowers and the color of the dresses and usually what the guys wear. Um, you know, all those things are decided usually by the bride or, or the mother of the bride. I mean, you know, it's, if you're the guy in the wedding, you just say yes, dear. That's what you do. You, you say nothing else. You just say yes. And so these things happen in weddings, and, and we find them interesting. But I, I loved what, what weddings also symbolize. And, and there's this kind of this thing that happens when people walk in. The, the bridesmaids and the groomsmen, they come down the middle of the aisle, or, or they come in from the back, whatever they do. And, and there's always this low murmur, this chatter that's happening around the room. People go, oh, I like her dress, or I don't like his suit, or, you know, do you see their shoes? Um, wh- whatever it is they're saying. And, and then the music changes, though. And so does everything in the room. Music changes, everyone stands up, and the bride enters with her father. Or, or at least someone who loves and cares for this woman. And she walks down this aisle, and as she walks down the aisle, everyone is silent, everyone just stares and looks, and, and there's a sense of anticipation and a sense of love and awe, and, and everything about a wedding just brings that in. But what happens next, I think, is one of the coolest parts of the whole thing. When the father and the daughter get to the front of the aisle, they, they kind of stand there and they hold hands for a second. And then whoever's officiating, the minister, the pastor, whoever says, and who gives this woman to be married to this man? And the guy usually says, her mother and I. And then there's a symbolic act where this man who has loved this woman, this young lady, for all his life, since her birth, has cared for her and taken care of her and taken care of her needs and usually her wants and, and would give anything for her, who then hands her off to another man. And what he's saying in that act is, listen, I have loved this little girl her whole life. And I care more for her than I can express in words, but I'm trusting you with her. I trust you to take care of her. 
trusts you to love and to honor her and to respect her and to share life together. And in truth, there's a mom of a groom saying the same thing, but she doesn't get to hand him off. She just watches. And in that act, there's this sense that now the, the bride looks to the groom and says to him without even using the words that, listen, I trust you with my life. I trust that you, you will honor me and you will respect me and that we will share life together and that we're in this for the long haul. There's this sense of anticipation that this is what it's about. And so people gather and that's the picture we see. But unfortunately, we know that even though weddings symbolize so well what it should be, it's not often what reality looks like. And there are examples of great marriages and there are examples of poor marriages and there are examples of people who objectify one another, and you can't walk through the supermarket without seeing pictures of people on magazines. You can't turn on television without seeing commercials where people are treated as objects. Not to be loved, but to be lusted at. And I'm pretty sure that's not God's intention for us. I'm pretty sure that's a picture that's a little distorted, that it's not the way it's meant to be, but, but it is the way it is. But it's not the way it has to be. And that's what we're looking at this morning from Matthew chapter 5, uh, starting verse 27. I ask you to stand as we read it. And if you don't know, we've been kind of going through the Sermon on the Mount, looking at the words of Jesus and understanding what, what he said to them then and how it matters for us. Matthew chapter 5, verse 27 says this. You've heard that it was said, Do not commit adultery, but I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. The word of the Lord. You may be seated. I guess I have to say that Jesus, before we can really look at the text that he's speaking about here, he begins with a line that would have messed everybody up who was a part of this. He says, you've heard it said, but I say to you. And at first glance, you're going, okay, well, there were all kinds of sayings, and I guess he could say, you've heard it said, but I say to you. But the reality is what he says in that moment is this, how you've understood God working in the world, the way you've understood what God said, you've totally missed the point. You're wrong. And people in that crowd would have gasped and people would have been caught off guard. And then what he says next, he says, listen, you've heard that it said, but I say to you. So in other words, you thought the law of Moses was the whole law, that it was all you need to know. But I'm telling you today that what you need to know is what I have for you. And I am the one that speaks with authority. And so then he goes on to say these next words, that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully already commits lust in his heart. And I have to tell you that I could say any woman who looks at a man lustfully has already committed lust in her heart. This goes both ways. It's not an either or. I think man is used there because it's easier to pick on guys. But there's something in this when he says, listen, it's not, it's not just the act itself. It's what's going on in your heart. It's not just what you do. It's what your desire is. It's not just what your desire is, but it's your will. It's your, your thoughts. It's everything about you. Because the problem was people would say, well, I didn't do anything with that person, but in their mind they'd have they had already objectified them and treated them as an object, something less than love, because lust is never love. 
Lust is never love. It never works out quite that way. It's never, never objectifies someone. So there's this war that exists among men and women inside us, this desire for good and this desire for things of, of the flesh, this desire for God and this desire for the opposite sex or this desire for carnal things. But yet there's something in us that recognizes that's not what God really intended. Because we celebrate that when we gather for weddings. We recognize there's something better than that. There's something that we aspire to and hope to and hope for. There's something deeper than that. And so the question I sometimes ask myself is, has it always been this way? Have men always had to, to guard themselves against thoughts about women? And, and have women always had to guard themselves against thoughts about men? And, and, and before you say, well, I, I'm above that. It, I, it affects every guy from 6 to 96. Um, and after that, they die. So, you, you know, that's, this is something that we all deal with in some way, shape, or form. But see, in the beginning, in the garden, with Adam and Eve, there's this picture of a man and a woman together, and in fact, they're naked. I'm really glad you're not. Um, <laughs> being honest. And in fact, there's something about it that's so, so revolutionary, so incredible, that, that they have this relationship with one another and with God, and there's this perfect unity together. And, and in fact... The woman is so incredible to Adam, he doesn't even know what to call her, so he just says, whoa, man. Um, you should have laughed a little bit there. It was borderline funny, not real, just a little. Um, but, but I want to be careful. There's nothing wrong with recognizing beauty. It's when that beauty turns to something else. When it goes from recognizing God's creation, the way he's created men and women differently, and how they're unique, and how there's things that are valuable about them, when it becomes something that we objectify, and there's no longer respect, and there's no longer love, then we miss the point because love is never, or lust is never love. And so in the garden, what God did for Adam and Eve is he said, listen, the way I'm going to show how much I love you is I'm going to let you go wherever you want to go, but I hope you choose me. And that's the problem with God is he lets us go wherever we want to go. The problem with us is, is like we've seen again and again is we often don't choose to follow him. We choose to go in ways that take us away from God and they take us to dark places and they take us to places where we do things we shouldn't do and we say things we shouldn't say and then we walk away with regret. Because God loves us enough to let us go where we want to go. And I'm pretty sure you've noticed that that doesn't always go well. And so in fact, when... Adam and Eve chose to go away from God. Their relationship changed. And I love the way um, Dan Boone puts it this way. He says this. A word for the man. Adam, after the fall, but before the ejection from the garden, did an interesting thing. He named the woman. This is the same thing he did with all the creatures. To name something is to have power over it in some way. To objectify it. Adam named the woman. This is a profound change in the relationship. God had given him the woman as bone of his bone and flesh of his flesh. Now he views her as an object rather than gift. He uses her rather than shares the stewardship of the earth with her. The relationship changed. Because no longer did he see her as an equal, as someone to love and to cherish and to do this life together with, but it became something so much different became a broken image of what is, and so we find ourselves with all kinds of stories and pictures that are broken today. In fact, I remember a, a few years ago, I was um, playing golf with a couple guys from church. We're all about the same age, all had small children, and, and the golf course we went to was having some outing that we weren't a part of, but they let us out anyway, and, and I'll never forget what happened on that course that day because it still sickens me in some way. We were, we were out there, and we were waiting to go off on another hole, and there was kind of this bottleneck of people, and we we're trying to get through, and, and 
And I'll never forget, there was this group of guys, six or seven guys, between the ages of 55 and 65. And there was this group of young ladies. And the young ladies probably were in their early 20s, maybe even teenagers, I don't know. And they, they worked for a, a beer company. And they were dressed in probably ways that are borderline inappropriate. Um, but these guys, what they said, I can't repeat to you. Because I was shocked I heard it come out of their mouths. Four of us from church kind of kept looking at one another, and no one really knew what to say, and we felt like we should say something, but no one knew what to say, and so we just kind of left. And because it, it saddened me in two ways. One, I can't believe men would talk to girls like that who could be their daughters or granddaughters. And the other side of it is I can't believe the girls were used to it because they didn't care. And there's something about that picture that it just wasn't right. There's something about that picture that leaves you a little sad and a little angry, a little frustrated because that's not the way it's meant to be. Because lust isn't love. And so the things these men would say to these women were just inappropriate. I, I, I wanted to say, don't you have a daughter? And so this is an image popped up in my head last week as I was thinking about this service and I was, um, my wife was with her mother and, and sister, and they were doing some shopping and with the kids, and, and Isaac was asleep, but Gracie just wouldn't fall asleep. She just was not going to do it, and she, her eyes were red because she was so tired, and she wouldn't stop crying, and so I, I laid her down, and, and I tried laying next to her, and that didn't work, and so I laid her down in the crib, and, and I left the room, and that didn't work, and so finally I, I laid her down and tried laying next to her in the bed with her, and that didn't work, so finally I just grabbed her, and I just held her, and I held her close to my chest, not hard enough to hurt her, but, but tight enough that she couldn't squirm away and she figured out that, that dad was just going to hold her. And her body is kind of squirming and trying to get out of it and she's breathing heavy and, and she's crying. But, but slowly, the tears stopped and her body stopped heaving up and down and it turned to this rhythmic breathing where you know your child's just fallen asleep. So I waited a few minutes and then I, I moved her over and covered her up and I just kind of looked at her for a minute and I found myself thinking these thoughts. I hope someday there's a guy, if she decides to get married, I hope there's a guy who loves her the way her dad does. I hope there's a guy that loves her so much that, that he, he won't objectify her, that he'll value her, that he'll, he'll treasure her, and he'll treat her the way she's supposed to be treated. And I found myself thinking, I hope someone thinks the same way about my son. I hope there's some woman out there someday that doesn't think, well, there's a guy with cute dimples, although he does have cute dimples. I hope they think more than that. I hope that my kids are worth more than that to someone. I hope your kids are worth more than that. I hope... What happens is God begins to do a work in and through us so we don't see people as objects to get to something. But we see them as people created in the image of God. People who God loves, people who he values, people who he cherishes. And we're called to do the same, that we're called to cherish them. And I have to tell you, I can't really be mad at those guys at the golf course. I can't. As much as I want to, because I don't, I don't know the background. I don't know if they ever saw modeled for them what it looks like to love the way you're supposed to love someone. But I know this, that if the church began to embody that, if the people who call themselves Christians, if the people who follow Jesus would begin to not objectify one another, if we, if we weren't the ones who, who walked through the place and said, well, look at him, look at her. Because it's everywhere. You can't turn on the television or walk through a grocery store without seeing the way we objectify men and objectify women. And lust is never love. Jesus goes on to say, he says, listen, if, if your eye causes you to sin, cut it out. If your arm causes you to sin, if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. Now, I don't know if you've noticed this, but everyone in this room, for the most part, I've got to be careful here, um, I don't think anyone here by choice has cut off their right arm or their right eye. 
right? I mean, I'm pretty sure I don't think that's what's happening here. So I don't think he's literally saying, cut off your hand and cut out your eye. But what he's saying is this, if there are things in life that trap you, if there are things in life that ensnare you, if there are things in life that woo you in to live ways that are counter to God and his kingdom, if there are things like that, cut yourself off from them, move away from it, run away, flee. Because when we, when we find ourselves wrapped in those places that ensnare us, that grip us, that lead us to sin, we're always going to have a distorted image of what God desires for us. We're always going to have this idea of a world that isn't the way it's supposed to be, and we just say we're okay with it. Because, I'm reading a quote here, lust demands more but gives less. Lust wants a body to practice on. Love asks for a life partner to be faithful to. Lust turns people into objects to be consumed. No wonder Adam and Eve reached for fig leaves. No wonder Jesus suggested the removal of the lusting eye. And we've got to be careful even in our marriages to value our spouse. And I, my wife will be the first to tell you I fall short way too often. But to love our spouses or the people we come into contact with, did I fall short? Okay. <laughs> Maybe she won't be the first to tell you that I fall short. Um, but it's true, I do. But what would happen if God's people would find themselves in positions where they would love the way God calls us to love? Well, what would that look like? What kind of picture would we see in the world? How would we no longer see, see someone and it would turn on something inside of us, but instead it would lead us to go, man, I hope someone cherishes them. I hope someone loves them. I hope someone cares for them in, in powerful ways. In fact, I'm so convinced that if we began to live this out in different ways, that we would hear stories like the one I'm about to read more and more, and it would be true for us in all kinds of ways. And so here's the story I have for you this morning. I head up an organization that has created a missionary enterprise in Haiti. Presently, through the efforts of those who have taken over this ministry, a network of some 85 schools has been established that serves children who have been reduced to a life that is pretty close to slavery. The children in these schools, for the most part, come from families that are so poor they've had to give their children away to other families who can feed them. These oppressed youngsters are given the most menial task imaginable. And they can expect to spend their lives in hard labor. Such children carry water for most of the day and, in between, work in the sugar fields. Classes are held from the late afternoon into the evening because these children are not free to go to school during the regular daytime hours. Nevertheless, they attend the school with great faithfulness because they know that if they can learn to read and write in a country where the illiteracy rate is 85%, they have a chance to escape their oppressive lives. When I go down there, I usually stay at a Holiday Inn right in the center of Port-au-Prince. Once, when I was walking to the entrance of the hotel, I was intercepted by three girls. I call them girls because they look to be about 15 or 16 years of age. The one in the middle said, Mr., for $10, you can have me all night long. I was stunned by what she had said. I turned to the girl next to her and asked, Can I have you for $10? She nodded approval. I asked the third girl the same question. She tried to conceal her contempt for me with a smile. But it's hard to look sexy when you're 15 or 16 and you're very poor and your family is hungry. I said, Fine, I've got $30. I'm in room 210. You be up there in a half hour. I'll pay you then, and I want all three of you for the whole night. And I have to tell you, right here, I had to stop, because I didn't know where in the world this was going. 
and, and uh, this guy's a pastor, so, so I was worried for him. Here we go. Um, I rushed up to the room and got on the phone and called down to the concierge desk. I said, send every Walt Disney cartoon video you have up to room 210. Anything by Disney, send it up to me. I called down to the restaurant and asked if they made banana splits. I told them that I wanted banana splits with extra everything. I wanted them to be huge and delicious. I wanted extra whipped cream, extra chocolate syrup, extra nuts. I wanted, wanted four of them. Within the half hour, the videos came, the three girls came, and the banana splits came. I sat the girls down on the edge of the bed. We ate the banana splits. We watched the videos. We had a little party as we watched the videos until about one in the morning. That's when the last of them fell asleep across the bed. As I sat there in the stuffed chair looking at their little bodies strewn across the bed, I thought to myself, nothing's changed. Nothing's changed. Tomorrow they'll be back on the streets. Tomorrow they'll be selling their little bodies for $10 a throw because there will always be rotten, ugly men who will destroy the dignity of little girls for $10 a night. Nothing's changed. And the Spirit spoke to me and said, but for one night, Tony, you let them be little girls again. For one night, you let them be kids. You didn't change their lives, but for one night, you gave them back their childhoods. I'm convinced that that little expression of love and that party in room 210 of the Holiday Inn in Port-au-Prince was the work of the Holy Spirit. Now I have to tell you, I'm not advocating that you go pay for three hookers. It's probably a really bad idea. What I am advocating is this, that, that you live a life that treats people with respect and love and you don't objectify them, that, that you raise up your children to recognize that people are of value and they have worth and they're not, they're not just the physical appearance, that there's something so much more to them than that, that there's something holistic in them, that God loves them, that they're created in the image of God himself and they are worth more than can ever be described. I'm not telling you not to find your spouse attractive. I hope you do. That's a good thing. But I'm telling you to make sure we treat men and women, boys and girls, with dignity and love because lust is never love. And I have to tell you that it isn't easy. These aren't easy things to do. This Sermon on the Mount is not easy things for us to embody. They're difficult. They're hard things for us to hear. They're things that, that challenge us, that push us. In fact, we cannot do it on our own, ever. It's only by the work of God. And Paul says this, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and pop, proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. Everything we do in life is worship as an act of God. Everything we do is worship to God. All of it. May our thoughts and our deeds, may they be reflections of what God calls us to. May they transform us. May, may we recognize that He has already done the work. He desires to transform us. May it begin here. May we treat our sons and daughters with dignity and respect and never objectify them. May we not objectify others. May we show love and may we teach our families and our children what it looks like to love as Christ loves. Will you stand as we pray and as we sing together a closing song? Father, we come before you this morning trusting you with our lives, praying that you will do some transformative work in and through us and that you will help us to never be tempted to lust after others, but we will be be people who love you with all that we are. 
We pray, Father, that you would be at work in the life of this church and the life of our families, that we would help raise up men and women who value one another, who recognize that they're to partner together in life. We pray, Father, that you would be faithful to us, especially when we're not faithful to you. Will you work in us in powerful ways, transforming us into your image? We pray this in your son Jesus' name.